0: thankful for who you are, and we thank you for this space to be able to worship you and study your word, Lord. And we just want to lift up the families that are here, um, the Dillards for their care and the Questas for their uh, mourning and their loss and their travel, the the hacks uh, for decisions in the future, uh, for Miss Cindy and the mourning that, uh, that they're going through and the preparation they're going through. Um, for our communities that are dealing with discernment and, and trying to protect our kids, Lord. We just want to lift them all up to you. And we just ask that this time that we spend together this morning be a time uh, where we learn together and love together and that we learn the principles that you would have for us, Lord, that as husbands and as wives, we learn to serve each other in a way that glorifies you, Lord, that we may be able to raise uh, strong and healthy, loving Christian families Um, who glorify you in all that they do. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is the recap. We always do a recap. So last week, Coram Deo. Coram Deo, in the face of God. That's how we live our lives. We live our lives like God is there, watching. He's right in front of us all the time, right? And we walk as though we are wise, right? We're not dummies. We're wise. We know the word of God. We know the gospel. Solid, practical, purely biblical understanding of the gospel and a solid understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us as sinners, right? We talked about not getting drunk with wine, but instead being filled with the spirit. And we conduct our lives like we realize that we're indwelled by the one true God. When we walk, when we live, when we communicate, when we work, um, when we share time with one another, we do that so that when other people see us, they see that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's difficult sometimes, right? We lift each other up in song. We sing praises to God. We'll do that at the end today as we've prepared our heart and we've studied and we know what we're studying and we become wiser together. We will then sing to God, right? We give thanks constantly in everything that we do and we show reverence to God in the name of his Holy Son, Jesus. Right, through our submission and service to one another. And we talked about submitting to one another as a family in Christ we submit to one another. And now we're going to go a little bit deeper in how we submit to one another in the marriage vows. Right, And this one that we're going to go over today <coughs> has become one of the controversial ones. So I can't say enough bad things about the women's liberation movement. You can talk to me about it afterwards if you'd like to contend. There's a lot of good things about women having equality in the workplace and women having equality in voting, but the women's liberation movement overwhelmingly has become an evil machine that has created some sort of thing that looks like putting one sex above the other, putting contention between the two. It's not about equality anymore. It's about contention. And we're gonna look at where the beginning of that is. And I think you'll find it's right at the fall And God is very clear about it, Moses records it. And it's part of what happens when man, woman, when people are disobedient, right? It's become very controversial. So the world is gonna attack God, in this case, under the guise of a couple things. Misogyny is one of them. The patriarchy is another word that they use. But unfortunately, people just twist the verses. They twist the verses and they use them out of context To try to get people to believe that if you believe what these verses say, that as a man, we somehow believe that women should be below us, right? That they should submit to us in a way that is like a slave submitting to a master. And that is not it. That is not it at all. As a matter of fact, the text is quite clear that it's quite the opposite. God has a very high view of our women, his women, his daughters, queens, And we have to respect that. And we have to learn that, we have to teach it. We're gonna get in why it's important that we learn it when we get into next week's study. Um, Because Paul is very clear that these principles, you don't just know. That it has to be taught. And I think what's important about that is why we're gonna do an extra study during the week. Because we'll go over what the Bible says, and then we're gonna teach each other as women and teach each other as men how to run a family Right, it's important that we know this. So the topic, the submission of a wife to her husband. But before we dig in, there's a couple we have to kind of build the foundation, right? Build the foundation for what's a what does a married couple look like? And I don't mean just you're all married. I don't mean just going and getting marriage vows. I don't mean going to the courthouse. I don't mean going to a church and having a pastor marry you. It's all well and good, but there's a foundation to this that starts before the state got involved. There's a foundation before even a person got involved, God built this. And how did God build it? So first he made man in his image, right? He made man in his image. He created him male and female. He created them. So there's a man and there's a woman, Genesis 1:27. And God never said he made one to rule over the other. He just made them in his image. He didn't make man in his image and then Not woman in his image. They are both in his image. Now, although woman is made from man, and this is kind of unique if you think about it. Man was made out of the dirt. And he breathed life into man. Woman was not. Woman was made, whoa, man. From the man, out of the man. Not made out of the elements of the soil, but made from the man. Very unique, very special. Very different, yet together as one, very unique, but not one to rule over the other. God made Eve from Adam's side, from his rib. I want you to listen to this. This is really cool. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, wrote this about Eve. This is really cool. Not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. I thought that was really cool because it really gives you some perspective about God taking out a rib. There's woman right there next to me, equal, not over me, not under me, but there nonetheless under my arm as the lesser creature, weaker vessel for me to protect and to love straight from my heart. Even Paul, who's giving this letter to Ephesus, explaining a wife's role to believers in the equality of women, we're going to talk about this. He says this, remember from Galatians, we went over this a few months ago, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that there's not a man and a woman anymore. This is another one people will twist. What it means is that when Christ sees us in our salvation, he doesn't say, I saved the man and then I saved the woman because the man is above the woman. There's neither man nor woman in Christ. You are all equals as I come to redeem you to me. Okay? But God did make man first and give him dominion over the earth. So he did make man first and gave him dominion over the earth and also to name his wife. And this is interesting, right? Listen to this. It says, the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of a man. Then the man said, this at last, the bone of the bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man from Genesis 2:23. But then in Genesis 3:20, he calls her Eve. He names her Eve. You see, this is interesting in that culture and through the Jewish culture is that naming is very important. Being able to name something, a child, shows some sort of dominion, right? When God gave Adam dominion over the earth, what did he say to do? name everything that's there he named the plants he named the animals he named his wife he gave her his name because it's like a sign of authority if you will what genesis 1 tells us they were supposed to do it together now although he kind of gives adam the authority he's doing it with his wife because she's out of his side together this is the god's purpose to do life together to be married together, to raise a family together, to subdue the earth together. God made everything and said it was good. But after man and woman had been put together and they were enjoying fellowship together in the garden, he didn't say it was good. He said it was very good, which is interesting, right? When God makes things, he said he made this, it was good. He made that, it was good. He made this, it was good. And then he made woman and they were together in the garden and it was Very good. It's almost like I made everything perfect. And then when I put the man and the woman together, I made it perfect, perfect. More perfect than perfect. It's the ultimate because the man was together and I gave him the perfect helper. Not just a helper, not just some helper, but the perfect helper, right? This is the problem, the fall of man. This is where it all starts to unravel. Because after the fall, we see this, a woman's desire Will be for her husband, and this is where we see the contention start to kick. And I was talking about earlier Genesis three sixteen, a woman's desire will be for her husband. She's going to want to be over him. This is the liber- the women's liberation movement in a nutshell, women dominating. So much like sin crouching at the door in Genesis four seventeen, where we really get the idea of what sin looks like, because you know sin isn't really mentioned. Until you see Genesis 4. The falls already happened, but in Genesis 4, God gives us this perspective of what sin looks like. Always trying to get us, trying to attack us, crouching at the door, showing desire for sin to overcome mankind. A woman will always want to overcome her husband. And that's really the beginning of that movement. So I want to be very clear. Eve may have sinned first. Eve may have taken the fruit and sinned first, but who does God blame? He blames Adam. He doesn't blame me. He asked Eve, why have you done this? And then he looks at Adam and he's like, you're, the, you're at fault, right? This is the end of Genesis 3 if you want to go back. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in fifteen forty five, and in Romans five fifteen, all record sin coming from who? Adam. Sin comes from Adam. This shows his responsibility over Adam. The woman. So she's from him. He's over her to protect her. He's there for her as her protector, her guider. And when she sins, whose fault is it? It's his. It's not hers. With this foundation of authority interlaced with equality, because they are equal, we can jump into our passage. So let's read this together. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 22. And we're going to just do the three verses, 22 to 24. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through verse 24. And it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 22, this is the kicker. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Probably the toughest verse to utter out loud in most public spaces today. You'd get yelled at anywhere but here. I'll bet you there are churches in this county that people would stand up and walk out of if you said it out loud. People don't like to hear that because they haven't been told what it really means. It's not a bad thing, it's good to submit. I had a conversation with a lady a while back, and it was interesting. Said she could never worship a God that said that a woman had to submit to a man or submit to men in general. Well, that's good. I wouldn't recommend it either. I wouldn't recommend going to a religion where women are called to submit to men. And we all know there's a couple of those out there. Many of us have traveled to those places in the world where women are just called to be submissive. That's not what this is saying. But that's not what the Bible says either. That would be a false God that you're worshiping if you're in a religion that says women just submit to men. What this verse does say is that a woman should submit to her husband. She's not called to submit to men in general. It's not to all men. Or to any man. She's called to submit to her husband. And is it really hard to swallow? Ladies, is it really that hard to swallow submission? I mean, it does say submit. The word is quite clear. Hupatasso, the word. And it's not actually in this verse. So, depending on the version you're reading, I, I want to just back up a little bit. In verse 21, we, we did this in the, in the recap submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look at the Greek, I had to go back and read it a few times because the version that I use the ESV says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. The ESV actually doesn't properly uh, get the translation down. It actually is wives uh, as to your husbands, or or wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Because in Greek, when you just write, there's no punctuation or anything. So it's Paul teaching people to be submissive to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands. As to the Lord. Does that make sense? So it leaves the word submit out. So it actually does not say wives submit to your husband. The assumption is that the way it's written is for wives to submit to their husband. It's not just an assumption. It's true. Um, but this word, this word, butasso, it's historically recognized like a military term. And I like that this picture is there because it helps us to understand what submission is, especially for you guys and gals because you're in and around the military all the time and it makes a little more sense. Arrangement, subordinate, subordination, to be subordinate to someone, like a military rank, right? It doesn't say anything about strength, intelligence, capability, it's not about inequality. So you go to work in the military, you could be the youngest of the young enlisted guy, and there could be a whole pile of people that outrank you, senior enlisted, young officers to senior officers. You submit to them because when you go willingly to them, you understand that there's a mission. You can be the smartest, fittest, most capable guy on the battlefield, but you submit to somebody's orders. Not because they're above you, better than you, smarter than you, stronger than you. It's about understanding the mission. And I think that picture makes it easy for me anyway, because I'm like, that has nothing to do with somebody being better than I. I willingly submitted to my leaders in the military, sometimes even when I didn't like it, because I knew that they had a different picture of the mission set, right? And I, we can get into the weeds on sometimes that not being right, and sometimes it's not right in a marriage as well, right? But we do our best to submit in a way To help support the team and the mission. Now, that's a bigger team and it's a little bit different and it's arranged differently, but you kind of get the point of it, right? Um, The verse is clear to submit to your husband as to the Lord. And this is really important. Consider this calling, if you will. If a young woman is submitting to the Lord as a believer, so I know all of you are married, but think of this a young woman, unmarried, is submitting to the Lord. Her head is the Lord. She worships God. She studies the Word of God. She's indwelled with the Holy Spirit. She is saved. She submits to God because He's, well, God, right? And is being courted by and marries a young man who is also submitting to the Lord. So think of this submitting to the Lord. You get a young lady submitting to the Lord. And this young man comes along and he's courting her and he's submitting to the Lord. What changes? Nothing. They're both just submitting to the Lord. He's just put her, she has put him in a place of headship, right? God has put him in a place of headship, but nothing has changed in her life as it pertains to her submission. Everything is the same. Because this submission is a calling to submit to God, right? She is in line with the Lord in all things. She's just married now, as God's design is. That in that design, which of course we because we're, we're not good at doing life. We corrupt it and we mess it up. And you guys have all been married for a couple of days. You know that our wives mess up our marriages all the time. Right? That was a joke. You can laugh at it a little bit. We as couples mess it up. We don't say the right thing. We don't do the right thing. We don't submit. We don't lay our lives down for one another. And oftentimes that is the problem with strife in our marriage is in that moment, it's, but I want fill in the blank and I'm not getting it, because we're selfish. It also needs to be added, and I think this is probably one of the important ones that needs to be like, remember stomp the floor, like you remember being in school. Submission is pure, and it is never sinful. You never submit to sin. A wife is never called to follow her husband to submit her husband if he's committing or being sinful, ever. She submits to the Lord, to her husband is to the Lord not to whatever sinful things that he might have for her. And that's a whole other road to go down. Whatever things he wants to do with her, around her, for her, to her, if it is not, if it is sinful, she is not called to follow him. And I want to say, especially this comes to abuse. If it's abusive, she's not called to follow him. Psychological, spiritual, physical, or otherwise, she is not called to submit to him. And if there is, If there is abuse, and I encourage this in your circles of believers or otherwise, give us the opportunity to provide you counsel. And we're always here for you. And it goes for ladies too. If there's abuse, you need to talk to somebody. Call one of the other ladies. Call me, I will arrange a meeting with the ladies, with Carol. We'll figure something out, but do not stay in an abusive relationship, especially if it's dangerous, if it's a dangerous place physically for you or the kids. A wife is called to lovingly submit to her husband as an act of obedience to the Lord. Not obedience to her husband. Does that make sense? It's obedience, always obedience to the Lord because if he's in line with the Lord, then his decisions are in line with the Lord. She's submitting to him. I listened to this guy talk the other day and I thought it was funny. It was, I wouldn't repeat it slightly. Um, it was funny in the context, but in this large church, he essentially says, if you come to us and your husband is abusive, please let us know who he is so we may lay hands on him. And I was, It made me laugh because you know he didn't mean for prayer. And I thought it was we can work that out too. Then we'll talk later. We'll set up another t- chat group and we'll, we can work that out too. Sometimes discipline just needs to be done the old-fashioned way, right? So let's move on. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself as the Savior, right? And this is the order of headship. It's the order of headship. Paul goes over this in 1 Corinthians, verse 11, 3, he says, uh, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. There's the order. We just got done talking about, you know, when a young woman gets married and she's marrying a godly guy, it all just works out. It's perfect. So even the triune God has an example of headship. It's the way God is built, is headship. Even with there being equality between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's still order, there's still headship, right? As we discussed earlier about a woman who's a believer, who's already in submission, that man comes in and it just sets it all up just nicely. So this idea of headship, talk about it. It's directly connected to spiritual guidance, responsibility, physical safety, emotional support, financial support, fatherly love, all of these things that make a a good parent, right? Paul expresses that this order is tied To Christ as the Savior. Because this is what Christ does for us. As the Savior of the body, this way, when a man and woman come together, is what the provision is with him as the head of the wife, right? The wife does not look to the husband for salvation. That's not what it's saying here. But she should look to him for godly qualities, right? Because the husband is the head. He should be providing godly qualities for his wife to look at in him, physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, right? She should seek these qualities. Expect those qualities. And this is a tough one, ladies. Encourage those qualities, right? So if you're expecting them and you're not getting them, encourage them. This is what I need from you in our marriage. This is what I need from you physically. This is what I need from you spiritually I need you to pray for me whatever that looks like in your marriage your husband needs to know because I don't know if you figured this out about your husband yet but especially a lot of guys that we're mission oriented people and sometimes when the missions aren't as important as the main mission those other missions they kind of get they get left aside in the periphery and we don't do them well so sometimes just like hey there's this other thing on the map that you need to address I need you there for so please help them do that. A wife should not expect leadership from her husband towards Christ, but um, not just expect it, but she should also needs to be submissive enough to allow him to lead her to Christ. And this is an important one as well, right? You need to allow your husband to fill that role. So if your husband is trying spiritually to be the head of the household and you're just not going to let it happen because you're in charge, because you're mama, things go your way that is not allowing him to be the head of the household you have now become the head of the household and that is not the way God designed it and as we know with sinful actions when one starts it will snowball into something else and then if you expected him to be the head and you're not allowing him to he will become less and less and less of that role until the marriage is just out of line so don't just expect him to, allow him to. So what's biblical headship look like? So let's look at Paul's letter to Timothy. This is gonna give us some insight into this, into what an overseer looks like. And this is a good one, right? Now, this is an expectation of an overseer of a church. And that word overseer, it can be translated in a bunch of ways. Pastor, preacher, teacher, um, elder. So overseer is the word. And depending on the version of the Bible use, some will say elder, some will say overseer. But let's look at this. And it's the role that's played in the church, but it contains some really important qualities because if you think of a pastor of a church, so is the man, the pastor of his home. He's the shepherd. He shepherds his wife, his kids. He leads his wife, his kids. He's the elder for his wife and his kids. Um, 1 Timothy three one seven goes over these qualities as the head of the wife. He should strive or desire to have Right, they are qualities that help with the wife to submit to God as well, for children to uh, learn the roles of a mother and for a father living and loving in a godly relationship. So, turn with me. Let's go to one Timothy three, one through seven, and I, I just want to go over these real quick because I think it's uh, it's important that we understand because it's gonna it gives us a really good picture of what this headship looks like. I didn't, my fat thumbs are not allowing me to get there. So you go to 1 Timothy 3, and hopefully you're there with me. And I just wanna read seven verses, and it takes a second, but just for a moment, bear with me. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of, there's that word overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore an overseer must be, and here's kind of the, the, where we start looking at these qualities, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, He may become puffed up with conceit, fall into condemnation with the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, but into a snare of the devil. I mean, I think if you just look at these qualities, those are qualities that a husband or a wife would want in a husband. Those are just kind of your basic. He's able to lead a family type qualities. I'm able to love this guy because he fills these roles. Now, like I said, these are the roles of a pastor, an elder in the church, but they are the qualities of what headship looks like in the household. Gentlemen, strive for those. Women, encourage that. So as we go back to our text, verse 24, which is our last verse today, it's reciprocal of verse 22, but backwards. Now as the church submits to Christ, also... Wives should submit in everything to their husbands, right? In this verse, instead of seeing the individual submission of the man to the Lord, we see Paul comparing the wife's submission to the husband as the whole entire Christian church submits to Jesus Christ, right? The entire body of Christ submits to him as our Savior. Um. What is definitely different in this case is that Paul commands the wife to be submissive in everything, in all things. And that's a tough one. This is a tough catchphrase. What does that mean, all things? And this word in Greek, pas, is used in a number of ways through the New Testament. And in this particular case, it means in every condition or in every matter or in every way. You see, Jesus tells us in John 3, verse 29, he says this, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. You see, a wife should find joy in her groom, in everything. His voice should sound familiar, as is the Lord's, when he calls to us, the sheep hear him. It should bring her wisdom, it should bring her comfort. This is the everything. When she looks to you, to submit to you, she finds those qualities in you. Um, if you've been in church for more than a couple days, you've heard the end of Ephesians 5 preached numerous times. There's probably a million books written about this topic, some good, some bad, some okay, some studies. Um, every time I hear it, I hear the teacher glides smoothly kind of over this role of the woman to submit, and it slides, dives right hard into the responsibility of the husband, which we will get into next week. If you think it's hard to hear women submit, please come back next week because the men get burdened it's it's a good study it's a good study it's going to have you on your heels there's a lot of responsibility but in most of these studies that i hear the books that you see they'll slide right over this women submit and they'll be like submit oh yeah because men you're responsible and i agree that a husband laying down his wife for his life 100 is the role And we're supposed to have Christ laid his wife, his life down for the church. We are called to do the same. And it bears that responsibility of leadership and love in a marriage. Here's the but part, the however part. It does not diminish the responsibility of the wife to submit to her husband. Acknowledge his headship and love as the spiritual leader of your home. That's it, it stands alone, right? The wife's submission and the husband laying down his life, they're not mutually dependent. That's not the way it's built. It's not built this way um, because it's called to do so in order to be honoring to God. It's not, I'm gonna submit to you if you lay down your life for me. It's not, I'm gonna lay down my life for you if you submit to me. God is saying, submit to your husband. Period. Lay down your life for your wife. Period. Now both of these are in obedience to God, or as to the Lord, right? They stand alone. So as husbands, here's are things that we need to pray for. We need to pray that we're leading our lives well, our wives well. <laughs> leading our wives well. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to be strong, to be godly protectors of our wives' hearts and their faith walk, and their faith walk, right? It should be a constant reminder. What are you studying? What are you reading? Let's pray together. And as a church family, all of us in this room and those who aren't with us today, we need to pray that our body of believers that's here fosters an environment that would support our wives, right? I don't know about you, but I think they're our most important asset. I don't know about you, but I didn't make the babies in my house. Couldn't do it. No matter how hard I try. Some people are making double the babies, right? the man does very little work in this. No matter how much they say they did, they're really not doing much of the work. They are our most important asset, right? We need to foster that environment that would raise up young ladies that have a desire for godly marriage. That is truly important. Our world is raising up young ladies that are the most promiscuous generation of God-hating humans ever in history. They have no respect for themselves and they do not love God. It's very sad. I don't know as a parent how people allow their daughters to go into the world it it saddens me. Having daughters, I'm like, I just don't want what the world has for them, not in any way, shape, or form. And as we get into men next week, we're going to really pound down hard on what we should expect of our young men because we need to expect more of our young men as well. I mean, we need to expect more of our grown men, right? But we, as a church family, again in this room, need to come together to celebrate godly marriage the design that God has, godly marriage, as a picture of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom and his bride, the body of Christ. And like I said, next week, the role of the husband. And if you think we were hard on the ladies this week, you come back next week and I promise you we're going to get into what the man's role is. And I think you will find men that if you have not heard it said before, we need to do better in a lot of ways Um, we're not holding up our end of the bargain for the lord for the price he paid for us we need to be laying it all down for our families for our wives and we're going to dig in on that next week so i would encourage you this week as you pray pray for all of our families i am so encouraged by the families that we have around us in this group because i just see people like leaning into each other for prayer or for care for other kids for giving The couple times that we've taken up collections to give people stuff for moving or for kids has been, for such a small group, a pretty overwhelming joy. It's very surprising. And um, it humbles me that how powerful a small group of people who are faithful believers, who are good family people, who honor God with their family structure can be. It really is very humbling so ladies i encourage you to come um, this week for this study here so that you guys can talk about all those things that you don't want to talk about in front of the husbands uh, and pray hard and learn from each other and love one another and if if anything else if nothing magical comes out of it you just get a night of chilling out and setting aside the rest of your life for a couple hours so Uh, Pray with me if you will. Father God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for these words that Paul penned uh, that we might draw closer to you through the way that we structure our families, through um, wives who know how to live in a marriage, through submission to you, Lord, through allowing their husband to be the head of the home, to be their spiritual head, Lord, to be encouraging, And that we, Lord, as men would learn how to lift up our wives and love our wives and encourage them to be the godly wives that we want them to be, that they need to be. That you would humble us as husbands and wives together in a marriage when we are being selfish and we want our own way. That you would help us to look at each other as equals loving both submitted to you lord and he asked, we ask that you just strengthen all the families here that we are not just a good example to each other that we are a good example to our neighbors and to our community that they might see how good it is to be married and raise kids and see how well it is going that they would come to us and say What is it that you have that I don't have so that we might share you, Lord, with them? That hope that we have, we can share with them. And that is our prayer, Lord. And we ask for all these blessings in the name of our precious and holy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.